Morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to continue today with our series of Exile Living. We're going to be talking about the book of Daniel. We've got another story here. My sermon this week is titled Another in the Fire. But before we get into it, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day, another week, another chance to gather with your people, to hear your word preached, Lord, to worship your name and to lift you up. We pray, Father, that this would be a time of encountering you, that this would be a time when your spirit speaks to us in a special way, Lord, that we come away from here different for having met you. We pray also, Lord, that your protection would continue to be on people of this congregation and the people of this city, that the virus would be turned back, Lord, and that we could continue to be your light in dark places. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about the story of... Three young Hebrew men named Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Or as they're more commonly known by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now chances are good that you know this story. This is a very well-known story. In fact, you may know this story as a result of certain talking vegetables. You may also know this story maybe because you have one of those cardboard children's Bibles that you, you read to your children or you have read to you when you were young. We're currently working our way through one of those with our son right now. We're having a great time. But the, the, the thing about these childrenized versions of some of the stories in the Bible is that they can really simplify them and turn what is a very complex, nuanced, and, and many-faceted story down to something very simple. So, for example, if you were to listen to certain talking vegetables or, or read a children's Bible, you might think that the lesson of... Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is something along the lines of obey God no matter what. I mean, I mean that's not that's a bad moral, right? Like, if right? that's like, what you that's take away from the story, that's a great lesson. lesson. It's, just, it's just, is that, is that all, all there is, there is in, this in this story? I would put I would forward that this story contains both a critique and a lesson. Like last week, this story contains a critique of national idolatry, the idea that it is your nation that somehow usurps the place of God in your life, that the mixing of religion and national identity is just something to be considered part of your life. And if I can snap us out of this idea that this is just a children's story, I would like to share a quote from a rather unlikely source that is going to perhaps demonstrate to you that this is this is deadly serious, and this isn't just a children's story. This is a man named Baldur von Schirach. He was the architect of the Hitler Youth Movement. He was so successful with the Hitler Youth that he was later promoted to, I believe he was made the Secretary of State in Nazi Germany. Bad dude. Can we agree? Bad dude? Right? Nod. We can all agree, Nazis bad. And he said this in an interview before the Second World War broke out. This is just an excerpt from the interview. I thought about reading more of it, but for the sake of time. He who serves our Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, serves Germany, and he who serves Germany serves God. How's that for mixing up religion and national identity? And of course, what's so scary about this example is we all know where this went, right? We, we all have those images of, of the camps and, and the wars and everything horrific that came out of this particular instance of mixing national identity and religion. So with that, 
Let's jump in and let's see if we can find something a little different. I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version as I usually do. If you'd like to turn with me in, Dan in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We're just going to read the first verse to get us started. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Cubits? I thought this was a translation into English. So my Bible has a note at the bottom, 60, 60 cubits high is about 90 feet. So I have no idea how tall it is in here, but 90 feet, you can sort of get a bit of an idea for how big that is. So this, this idea, this idea of building this big golden statue, this isn't like super unheard of in the ancient world. This happened with a certain regularity. In fact, one of the great wonders of the ancient world was known as the Colossus of Rhodes, and I believe we have a picture of it. This was a giant golden statue to the sun god, either to Helios or to, or to Apollo, depending on which historian you read, but it stood over the entrance to the harbor of one of the Greek cities. Some historians say that it actually um, straddled the entrance to the harbor, so you can imagine how big this statue must have been in order to be able to do that. But this was, this was a massive, massive statue. And there are some modern examples of this idea as well. In fact, a few years ago in China, there was a massive statue that was being built to honor their chairman Mao. There was some colossal international outrage over this due to it being in a very poor area and the statue was reportedly torn down. But there is another well-known statue that you likely are familiar with currently standing over New York Harbor. It's called the Statue of Liberty. It stands 305 feet tall compared to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, which is about 90. And this statue, in many ways, embodies the spirit of the United States of America. Now, I am not comparing the Statue of Liberty to Nebuchadnezzar's statue and idolatry. and Like, like I am not saying that, okay? I am not comparing America to Babylon. That's not what I'm doing. All I'm saying is this idea that we would have something that sort of embodies and symbolizes the national identity is not totally foreign to us today. But people in the ancient world would have read a verse like this or heard a story like this and gone, oh, okay, Nebuchadnezzar is one of those kings. He's one of those kings, the ones who build these giant statues because they can as a monument to themselves, as a monument to their power, as a monument to their nation that they lead, which they also embody. And we should also remember from last week when we spoke about the word image, that when we see the word image, I think it's very interesting that the Bible uses the word image here and not statue. That the word image should be calling us back to Genesis 1, where God creates humanity in his image and likeness and calls humans to rule. Last week we saw that as humans rule the earth and collect into communities, there is this dangerous thing that happens where we appoint rulers over the rulers and that power comes with that and that power has a tendency to corrupt. So this great statue in Babylon represents the kingdom of, of Babylon and that's sort of what we can see going forward. So let's keep reading here. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled 
for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Do you like lists? This story is great for lists. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Here's another one. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It's a lot of lists, right? He's, he's repeating himself. And Daniel is on purpose making fun. He's making fun of how Nebuchadnezzar thinks so highly of himself, how he's putting on airs, how he goes on and on about his own greatness. And, and Daniel is relating that to us in this story. So when you see these long lists that repeat, just remember, we're making fun of the thing that, that we're talking about. Daniel's doing that on purpose. Because this statue is a national idol. Daniel is trying to say, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they think they're so great, they go on and on. So let's just, let's just keep reading. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears, sorry, here we go again, the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, they're Babylonian names, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Whoa, hold on, hold on right there. They just mixed up three quite separate things, right? They just mixed together loyalty to the king, right? They say they pay no attention to your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. So they've mixed up loyalty to the king, the worship of the civil religion, and the worship of the empire, the statue, the national identity. It, it would be like saying you can't really be a Canadian if you don't go to church, right? To, to mix those up, to say that, but also that you're, in so doing, you're not respecting the leader of Canada, which thankfully is not a king like Nebuchadnezzar, I can gratefully say. So failure to participate now in any one of those three can be seen as a threat to the rest. And so failure to participate is a much larger issue than just standing back. And this question of participation in national idolatry is one that Christians have dealt with for a very long time. In fact, one of the early issues for the Christian church was the participation in the cult of Roman emperor worship. And this may be seen in other times throughout history where the society around has said to God's people that if you want to live in peace, you better compromise on this thing. I wonder what that thing is for us today. I'll let you feel that in yourself. But this, this is the warning. This is the warning of Daniel chapter three about elevating your nation, your way of life to the place of God and mixing that in with the religion that you have. That every time that happens, it goes poorly. 
poorly. So let's keep reading. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is a man who is intoxicated with his own power. He is saying to them, I as far as you're concerned, I'm God. I have the power of life and death over you. I can do anything to you that I want. You do what I say. I am God to you. And the response is telling. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, Oh, you wicked, evil, pagan king! No, not what they said? King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They're so polite. Like, this has got to be the most polite act of treasonous rebellion that I have ever seen. Right, like they, they've basically just rejected his entire scope of authority and said, no, you can't tell us what to do here. And we're not having a debate. This is what they say. We're not here to have a theological debate with you. We don't have to defend ourselves. You're not God. Babylon isn't God. We're not doing this. And if you want to kill us, fine. That's fine. God may save us. God may not. But you're not God. It's God whose fate, who holds our fate in his hands, not you. You may think you do, but you're not God, and we're not going to worship your statue. Of course, the problem is, now he has to kill them, right? Like, he's got to do it now. You, you can't just let guys talk to you like that and keep going. So, of course, he has to finish the job. But the power of the resistance of these young men is their innocence. They're entirely peaceful but they're full of conviction and trust. And because they're not a threat to the king, this is why they're powerful. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. Does, is anyone reading from a different translation than the NIV? Is anyone? Some, the word in Hebrew there that is translated, my Bible translates as attitude, is is, more, is also like expression. The expression of his face changed, and some other translations show that. But in Hebrew, this is a pun. In Hebrew, this is the same word for image as in King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high. And the pun that they're making here is that the king of Babylon, who creates an image to embody him and his kingdom, and he commands the whole world to bow down to his image, but he can't control these men and all of a sudden he finds that he can't create, he can't control his own image. The king who creates this image and commands all to bow down can't control the image of his face. He's losing, he's losing control and he can't even control his own temper. His own temper. 
So he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, they were in a hurry, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because when you get this intoxicated with your power, when you mix the national identity with the religion, human life suddenly starts to value less. And Nebuchadnezzar will kill his own men just to kill the men who have crossed him. So the three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. Would, would you ever say no to this guy? Like, you just watched him pick up three guys and throw them into a furnace? I wouldn't say no. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It should be noted that in the mouth of a pagan king, this means looks like a divine being. Right? He's, not, he's not necessarily making a statement about Christ the way that we would hear the word son of the gods, but in his mouth, that's what that would mean. So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors who had gathered around to worship the statue and see Nebuchadnezzar's power should be noted. They crowded around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and no smell of fire was on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, so now he's figured out what sort of divine being this is, sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Good story, good story, we like this story, right? It's a good one. Were they spared from the fire? Well, they didn't die from the fire, but they still had to go in. So in that sense, they weren't spared from the fire, but they found that when they went in, God went in with them. As Possibly the most famous psalm, Psalm 23 says in verse four, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So the message of Daniel chapter three is this, resist and God is with you. But we, we should clarify that a little bit. It's not violent resistance, right? In fact, it's not even public resistance. These three men were ratted out it's not like they went down to the plain of Dura to protest the national idolatry with signs that said God hates flags, right? They didn't go down there and say, this is evil. They didn't go down there with bombs strapped to their, under their vests, right? They, they just stayed home and privately 
did something else. But it should also be noted that resistance is not national, resistance of national idolatry is not a withdrawal, and it is not even a condemnation of the nation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worked in the government. In fact, they were promoted in the government as a result of this story. They didn't quit their jobs. They didn't abandon Babylon. They didn't pronounce curses upon it. They didn't march around trying to exercise the city. The people of God are defined by being God's people. They just happen to live in different nations, and they aren't defined by those nations. Because if the primary command of the Bible, as told to us by Jesus, is to love God and to love people, that if we're truly doing that, then we're going to work for the betterment of the place where we live. And we work for the betterment of our nations not because we think they're the best or superior, but because we believe they exist under the rule and the authority of God and that we are called to contribute to it as followers of Jesus. Because the truth is that we believe there is an image that we are called to fall down in worship of. That there is an image that contains the identity that we are to submit to. And it is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And how does the true image, the Son, go about ruling the world? Well, that's in Colossians 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The God who stepped into the furnace, the God who stepped into human affairs, who let himself be thrown into the furnace of human evil and triumphed. He was there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was there on the cross as he became the victim of yet another national idolatry. It was a Roman cross, after all. And yet, he triumphs through it all. As we saw last week from Colossians 2, verse 15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So let us stand, not with violence or even nastiness, but with the confidence that comes from personal knowledge of the true God and the confidence that always there is another in the fire. Let's pray and the worship team can come up. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of these three young Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We pray, Lord, that we would have new eyes to see this story, that this story that is so well known in our society and in our, our people would be something that your spirit can awaken in us, that we can see it with fresh eyes to see what you're trying to do in us through it. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the time we could spend together. I pray all this in your name. Amen.